Hi, Nicholas Events here. Thank you so very much for joining us today on the first ever episode of The Chattering Hour. I'm really excited to be talking with our guest today. He is an icon, a true Hollywood and British legend, the incredible Malcolm McDowell. From working with directors such as Lindsay Anderson and Stanley Kubrick through to Rob Zombie, Malcolm's career has spanned over 50 years and he is still creating great and memorable characters. Up next, Malcolm McDowell. We're back. Now, here are a few titles which you'll surely recognise. A Clockwork Orange, Time After Time, The Cat People and Evelenko. These are just a few of the genre titles that Malcolm has starred in in the last 50 years. And he has a new serial coming to Amazon very soon, starring Nick Frost and Simon Pegg, The Paranormal Truth Seekers. Good morning, Malcolm. I'm going to dive straight in um, to the questions because we've got a lot to cover. Now, you got your first break in Lindsay Anderson's masterpiece, If. I was sort of ready right. to take on the great Lindsay Anderson. And believe me, I, I think now that, the, you know, that If is being rediscovered as a, a total... English masterpiece, which is what it is. Mm. It's one of the great post-war movies made in England. And I think that people now have sort of caught up to it. But it's interesting. It's, um, you know, uh, I think about seven or eight years ago, uh, Uh people had literally forgotten who Lindsay Anderson was. And, you know, um, they were going to do a retrospective of his films at Edinburgh. And they asked me if I'd go. This is a year in advance. And I said, well, you know, I, I, I was really upset that Lindsay's name had been lost in his brilliance. And, and I know that, you know, that, the, um, that he didn't make that many films. Mm. But he would never, ever stop. Well, he was the busiest director I ever knew. Because he was always doing David Story plays. Right. All those great plays of David's, Lindsay directed. Jocelyn Herbert, I think, did the sets to all of them and costumes. And, you know, there are some of the great works during that period. I mean, um, so he was always working at something, Mm -hmm. usually uh, on stage, and then would do a little sort of foiray into movies um, and uh, but but you know he it, it had to be an organic process with him right so that if right. you know he worked with David Sherwin who'd been at Tunbridge Wells school right and from what I hear it was pretty nasty but um, and and really it's really Lindsay's of course it's Lindsay's vision the whole thing you know but um, as David said, you know, that's uh, really, it's a lot of Cheltenham, a lot of Lindsay's school days in the movie, of course. 
Right. And we even shot it where uh, he went to school, Chapman College, you know. Oh, okay. okay. Which they've never forgiven us for. <laughs> what was it? I, I don't mean, know why. We put him on the map. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was just re-watching parts of it today, and it's like the opening sequence with all the boys rushing down the corridor and the, mm. the whips and that, that whole mm. uh, ethos. But what was the... I mean, you said you were filming kind of in the school, but what was the effect immediately afterwards on you when it, when it first came out in the cinema? Oh, uh, um, it was, um, you know, like an earthquake had gone off. And actually, the truth is, you know, and I, I did uh, a few couple of, a couple of years later, Clockwork Orange, you know, which was a huge mega international hit, mm. but it did not um, affect me in the same way that If did, because If, you know, before If, it was who, who's this, who is this, who is this McDowell? Is he an Irishman or what? Right. Um, and then, you know, you, you do your first movie and it, it's, it was so well received, especially in England. Right. And it won the, you know, the Grand Prix at Cannes which was pretty amazing. Um, that was, it was a monumental from, you know, having begging to kind of stay alive mm -hmm. to suddenly being offered stuff um, to star in movies with Gene Simmons, you know, like, like what? <laughs> Isn't she old enough to be my mom? Um, <laughs> um just the strangest thing, you know, it was, it was just a, a huge uh, tsunami. I mean, mm. so um, it's, it, uh, you know, and I, I was quite unprepared in a way and yet not, you know. It's, right. I mean, I sort of expected it because I was young and arrogant and um, you know how the young and arrogant are. Better to be young and arrogant than old and arrogant. So. <laughs> anyway, um, I had no idea really how the film was going to be received. And mm -hmm. before it opened, they had a few sneak previews and things, you know, so that get the word of mouth out, I guess. Mm -hmm. And the first inkling I had of anything about the movie, about whether it was any good or not, was I was walking down the King's Road um, a girl passed me, shrieked, uh, <laughs> came running back and leapt into my arms. Yeah, yeah. And I said, uh, do we know each other? Hello? <laughs> she went, I've seen the film. And I went, what film? <laughs> Complete idiot. She said, if I've seen it. I went, oh, you've seen it. I haven't even seen it. It was a special screening, and uh, she went, the whole place was stunned and then applauded. Um, it's an amazing, it's a masterpiece. This is this girl on the street, so. Right. Um, and then when I saw it, you know, um, it's, of course, a, a great movie, and because um, I haven't seen it for years, but it's, it's Lindsay's really great 
you know, his masterpiece. Well, listen, he made A Lucky Man. It's not a bad movie either. And he made This Sporting Life with Richard Harris, mm. which is one of my favorite films of that period. So, you know, Lindsay was a great, great director. No question. Yeah, I, I think what... Um, I, I remember it. There are just, you know, the certain thing. I think it's the scene where the master is in the drawer and he pulls the drawer up and there's one of the masters. And it's like, I remember watching this. I think I turned on halfway through the movie when it was being screened on TV. Mm. And like, what is, and then we get towards the end. It's extraordinary. And I've watched it a couple of times since. It's absolutely great. Well, you know, I sort of said to Lindsay, I said, I'd like to talk to you, Lindsay. He went, what is it? And I said, look, you're ruining this whole thing by this opening the drawer, the guy comes out. Now we're in such a realm of sort of unbelievability that it's spoiling the whole thing. He went, really? Now tell me, Malcolm, when the coach turns into a pumpkin at midnight, do you believe it? And I went, yes, I suppose. He goes, well then. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Oh, gosh. He had a great sense of making things very simple. There were, mm. for instance, there was this wonderful actor called Vladimir Pukholt, who was the star of the Czech cinema. Mm -hmm. Blondes in Love, Milos Forman, um, some of Ivan Passa movies. And he was a huge star, you know, in Czechoslovakia. And the thing was that Lindsay kept talking about him, but because he actually defected. And Lindsay put him up in his little flat in um, Greenfield Gardens right. and, um, and tried to help him. He became an orderly in a hospital, sweeping floors, basically. That's how he started. He's now a doctor in Toronto, a very successful doctor. But so... And I kept, and I said, who the hell is Vladimir Pukholt? I said, well, you know, give me a reference. Sir. And he said, well, Malcolm, Vladimir Pukholt is the, the Tom Courtney to Czechoslovakia, where they have no Albert Finney. <laughs> yep, yep, perfect. Absolutely perfect. Amazing. Yeah. Puts yeah. it right in context. You go, ah. Right. Okay. Got it. Got Isn't it. that brilliant? It's but that was the way his mind was. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Superb. Absolutely superb. Mm. Now, I want to move us on a bit to 1971. You already referenced A Clockwork Orange, uh, which is another huge uh, film for you. Mm. What was the best thing about making it, and what was the worst? Well, the best thing, I suppose, was that, um, you know, it wasn't as good as if, uh, in terms of how I felt. Mm. Um, if was a, a much more um, naive sort of um, wonderment, if you like. Right, right. Clockwork Orange was more cynical, you know. Now you're a player, you know, it's one of those dumbass things and and having to deal with agents and this and that and you know just stuff that uh, really 
didn't interest me that much, but mm. which you have to take care of, you know, and uh, lawyers, accountants, and blah, 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 you know. But um, so clockwork was so massive, really, in terms of um, its, you know, international appeal that mm. really everywhere you went, you were now known. So because um, I think that the film is so overpowering that... Um, mm. I think they thought it was just Kubrick or something, you know. I mean, of course, Kubrick is a huge element, but, um, you know, if you uh, see the film now, you know that, um, you know, my contribution to it was, um, uh, you know, pretty massive in a way because it was a collaboration and it wasn't just as an Mm. actor. It was... um, you know, working on the script and, you know, the costumes, everything with my stuff, you know, and um, I I was saying that to um, Alec Baldwin yesterday. I did this uh, thing with him, his uh, podcast. Mm. But he goes, I went, yes, no, no, no. Um, I was walking out to my car one evening and spending it with Stanley and he... And I said to him, what am I going to wear? And he said, I don't know. What do you got? I went, what do I got? I went, Stanley, this is, this is a movie that's sort of in the future. I mean, I don't have space suits. I don't know. What have I got? I mean, the only thing I've got is my cricket gear in the car. And he goes, let me see it. So I get that. And he goes, what's this? And I went, well, that's a protector. He goes, wear it on the outside. He goes, I like this. Let's take pictures. That's all the white. That's where it's from. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I know. And um... the eyelash was from me going into Bieber. You know, they had a store on Church Street, the original one. And I went in. I was absolutely fascinated by this uh, amazing store. And at the checkout, was a yard of eyelash, a yard of it like this, you know. And I thought, that's incredible. I got to get that for Stanley as a joke, you know. And I gave it to him and he went, oh, put it on. And I went, what? He went, put it on. And then he took pictures and he called me the next day and he goes, we'll just keep the eyelash on one eye because you look at your face and you, there's something wrong, but you can't place it. Mm. Mm. Well, there's ex- and I so know it's weird, you know, these things are happy accidents, you know. Mm. Well, I know from uh, reading up that the um, song "Singing in the Rain" wasn't in the in the original script. Is that right? Right, 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 right. Well, we didn't really know how to do the scene um, of coming in, beating the writer, and then me raping his wife. So mm-hmm. up until this point, I think we'd been shooting maybe two months. Right. And everything in that two months, there was a style. You know, this, it's, not, it's not realistic, but, but it's real. Mm. It's not naturalistic, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. So the there's a sort of a style, a heightened style. Mm -hmm. And when we came to this 
particular, which is a crucial part of the scene in the script. Mm. It's what everything hangs on. It was too naturalistic. You know, you, you come in, you punch the guy, you throw bottles through a window. This is what it was in the original thing. And then mm. you rape his wife. I mean, you know, that it's going to kill the movie stone dead. So mm. we literally sat there for five days uh, in this house. He moved everybody into a tent in the garden, all the crew didn't turn the camera, changed the furniture, God knows how many times. And so by the fifth day, I was kind of getting a little bored and Stanley Uh passed me. I'll never forget. He passed me and he looked down and he went, can you dance? And by this time I'd regained my energy. I jumped up and I went, can I dance? And I went into singing in the rain and did the slaps, the kicks on the beat. And that, of course, was the key to the whole thing. Mm. It was um, stylized, wasn't real. It was extremely funny Mm -hmm. um, in a very naughty way, but you couldn't help but smile. And and the rape then becomes... um, you don't really see it. All you see is him saying, Viddy well, little brother, Viddy well. And then cutting the, her um, one-piece suit, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, that's it. So in a weird way, it, it was the perfect solution that had been, we'd been stuck. And yeah. once we were through that, we were kind of home and dry, you know, right. with the movie. Right. Because then he could make singing in the rain the thing that he's humming in the bath. And, you know, Pat McGee, <laughs> Pat McGee was a, what a wonderful character he was. Uh. You know, I'd worked with him at the Royal Shakespeare Company and um, he was in this thing called Puntilla and his faithful servant, Matty or something, a mm-hmm. Brecht play, bloody awful play. Right. Which, of course, the Royal Shakespeare Company, you know, put in repertoire, did it for months on him. And Roy Dutrie's playing a drunk, you know, weaving all over the stage, pulling corks out of bottles, and Pat me here at the back, muttering some awful stuff under him, <laughs> talking about Roy Dutrie's and how much scenery can you eat? For Jesus Christ's sake, how much can he eat? <laughs> He's got no shame. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Pat, it was just very lovely to uh, see him. You know, he, he was a great actor. Yeah. A great actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, so- and, you know, probably not fulfilled as well as he should have been. Because, of course, he loved to drink and he didn't really give a shit, you know. He didn't play any kind of game. And um, he was, uh, I, I really looked up to him. I, I loved yeah. him. Yeah. He said to me, um, Jesus Christ, he goes, there's, there's not one Guinness on this set. I went, no, he's, Stanley's very, you know, he thinks that any alcohol will lead to, you know, debauchery and, Everyone forgetting their lines, and he went, that's bullshit. 
I went, let me see what I can do. So I go to Stanley and went, you know, Pat works ways Irish. He works much better. If he's got a little loose, you know, and he, he I said, why don't you get some beers on the prop truck? Get some Guinness, because that's his favorite tipple. And he goes, well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to the props guy. I went, Stanley, you know, just, I mean, you can order it. You're the guy. You, so he ordered a crate of this stuff. And like in three days, Stanley came up to me and he goes, I've been on the prop truck. You know that he's drunk every bottle. And we had a crate of it. I went, well, he's Irish. What can I tell you? Of course, he, he loves his Guinness. And are you displeased with what he's doing? No, he's amazing. So yeah. order another one. <laughs> <laughs> I love Patrick McGee, as you say, amazing look, amazing voice. Um, amazing. Yeah, I mean, he's also in one of my favorite films, um, The Mask of the Red Death, Roger Corman. Oh, yeah. It just growls yeah. his way through that. It's extraordinary. I mean, we're yeah. talking about two very different films. And I'm wondering how different it sounds as if Lindsay and um, Stanley were very different in their style. Directing is that right? Of course, yeah. Lindsay was really an actor's director. You know, Stanley wasn't in love with actors. He, he mistrusted them because he thought, you know, he, was, he ceded too much power to the actor, to so the performer, because there wasn't much he could do. He could do everything else: lights, cameras, sound. He was totally in control. But an actor who comes on and forgets his line, Jesus, you know, no control. In fact, he said, I'm thinking of getting the script girl, that was, her name was June Randall, a lovely lady, to go to Patrick McGee's flat the night before a big shoot and go through the lines with him. And I went, Stanley, please do not do that. It's terribly insulting you know, for one of the great actors to have somebody come. And I said, in any case, she'll go round to his flat. He won't be in. He goes, well, where will he be? I went, he'll be in the pub. That's where he will be. And I went, you don't fuck around with his, he knows what he's doing. He's mm -hmm. a great actor. He knows what he has to do. And he'll be prepared. So don't worry about it. And then you'll probably change it anyway. And he'll go with it. And he'll do it. Right. Because he is a great actor. And that's the end of that. You'll. And of course, um, Patrick came up to me and he said, um, Jesus, he goes, this, this guy, uh, how are you getting on with him? I went, oh, uh, Stanley, fine, fine. He goes, he just keeps asking me to do more and more. He goes, I'm sitting here. I feel like I'm shitting my pants. He goes, but he wants more and more. I went, I said, well, that's a, one particular shot, you know, where you realize. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I, know. I, hope, it, I hope it'll work. I went, don't worry, it'll work. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> and what do, you, what do you think are the best lessons that you learned from those two directors? Well, I learned much more um, from Lindsay because, um, you know, he became a, f a great friend mm -hmm. and 
uh, I was much more in tune with um, his side of things. Having said this, mm-hmm. I could never have given Lindsay Anderson the performance that I gave Stanley because Lindsay wouldn't have stood for it. Right. He wouldn't have won it. He would have thought, good God, you're way over the top. What are you doing? Um, so it's interesting that um, even though I was fairly young, I had to stand my ground and make a decision, uh, knowing that um, he would, uh, Lindsay would uh, not have approved. <laughs> but of course, you know, when he read the script, I asked him to read the script of Clockwork, such as it was before we started shooting and, um, you know, he just, the first thing he said to me was, thank God I don't have to direct this. Now, it's not your kind of material at all. But he goes, well, I don't, I don't even know what he's going to do with this. And we had no idea. So, you mm. know, that, and, and that was really, um, you know, that, uh, Lindsay was much more, uh, an auteur about stuff that he knew, you know, mm. the human condition, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, um, Kelly's got a good point. She says <clears throat> that Stanley cribbed a lot of clockwork, a lot of if into clockwork orange. And actually, you know, she's right. He, I think he saw the film four or five times. And um, he was sort of a little bit obsessed with it. Right. And um, because I said to him, well, how many times did you see it? Because he was talking to me and I went, wow, you know, how do you remember that? He said, well, I've seen the film a few times, you know. And I went, really? How many times? He went, "Mm, maybe four, five so he'd literally, um, you know, and it was the talk of London. Too. Mm. You know, it was like the hot movie, right? Of that particular time, and that was exciting. You know, that right. was so much fun to go down and see Lindsay and Michael Medwin, the producer, who was like the actor. You know, a mm. lovely guy. So just just died. He was ninety. Amazing. Wow. A very wonderful, a wonderful guy, and um, you know they were outside the uh, Plaza Cinema, and uh, as I drove up, my dad drove me up, and I looked, and Lindsay was going, "We're a hit! We're a huge hit!" You know, the, there were lines all the way down the street. You know, I mean, it was amazing. Wow. Wow. And that was, it, you know, opened up. That was the Sunday matinee. It was completely full. Like it was 1,600 seats, you know, it's a huge barn thing. And it was um, every, I mean, it was just went on and one and right. went on. Right. And, and, you know, the establishment were pissed off at first. But, but, you know, they do what the British establishment do better than anyone else. They encompass the rebels and right. take them in as one of their own. They right. take them to their bosom. <laughs> 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 and 
yeah. they show it to the they show it in public schools all the time. They used to. <laughs> Amazing. I was trying to work out why you would do that. It's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes? because you know, I think that they knew that the times were changing. Mm. I mean, you mm. know, God, we've had this revolution. We have the Beatles, for God's sake. Right, right. You know, and um, amazing movies, you know, that were coming out and stuff before us, before If. Right. Really interesting stuff. And, yeah. and, and of course, the flag bearer of all this was Look Back in Anger, you know, John Osborne. Of course. Of course. Who, who in 1956 at the Royal Court changed the course of theater as we knew it. Mm -hmm. Well, I wasn't around at the time, but, um, you know, that, that changed the course. That, that got Harold Hobson, who was the critic of the Times, and said it was absolute garbage, blah, blah, blah. When he first saw it, went back a week later and said, I'm wrong. This is an amazing play. This yeah. is amazing. And of course it was an attack, you know, on the establishment. And it yeah. was, uh, but of course he was a grammar school boy, Jimmy Porter, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't all that. No, um, no, no. Uh, but, but the thing was, it was um, the attack on, you know, his wife and his... Mm. And, and the in-laws, the colonel, and all yes. that, the, the lacerating uh, wit. And um, it's an amazing play, actually, and very old-fashioned, of course. Mm. Three acts, you know, it's, a, it's a really old-fashioned now. But um, it had the format of a, um, of a Rattigan play, you know, who's, right. of course, the one that influenced John Osborne. I guess, yeah. because Rattigan was the playwright of that period. Yeah. And so when John wrote this, I mean, I think it's an amazing play, actually. I do. And I did it in New York, but I love that play. Yeah. I think it's an amazing play. Yeah. And in terms of England and the 50s, it's, a, of course, and actually Western um, theatre, you know, um, it's very important. It, it changed everything, really. Yes. It, it opened the door for Harold oh, yeah. into Arnold Wesker and all these people. Yeah. And I think, I think and it was a huge sea change because, I mean, you're talking about Rattigan, the Terence Rattigan, but Noel mm. Howard as well. You know, theatre was. And, it, and then suddenly you get something like Look Back in Anger. I'd like to yeah. move on to um, 1979 and two completely opposite films that you made that year, um, Caligula and Time After Time. Yeah. <laughs> Just for Caligula, when did you get the feeling you were not making the film that you'd gone to Rome to make? Well, look, one can't be naive and go, oh, it's not my fault, you know I mean? Mm. The fact is, you know, I was offered the part to play this emperor by Gore Vidal. Right. Gore Vidal was one of the most um, celebrated authors of that period. Mm -hmm. You know, all his books were huge. He was a talk show personality. 
he was another one that um, was quite a character. And he called me, asked me to lunch, mm -hmm. and then said, what did I feel like? Yeah, I, he, he said, I've written the script called, called Gore Vidal's Caligula. Uh, I went, it's Gore Vidal's Caligula? He said, yes, that's the title. So, you know, you're dealing with a monstrous ego. <laughs> but um, I read the script, and, and actually I was very disappointed. I thought it was poor. Right. And... Um, so they haven't got a director immediately, and then they found uh, this Tinto Brass. And I believe they found him because Guccione was waiting to get into a, a preview theater to watch some stuff. And he was kept waiting because they were watching this movie called Salon Kitty, which Tinto right. Brass directed. And he looked through... And he liked what he saw, and that's why Tinto Brass became the movie of Gore Vidal's Caligula. Now, immediately, of course, as soon as they'd hired Tinto, uh, immediately Gore Vidal didn't like it. He, you know, he was Italian. He wasn't well known. He, you know, he, he um, I mean, how's he going to understand? Mm. And... Um, so, you know, the, immediately there was this big thing going on with the director and the writer. And then, um, you know, I was saying, but we need, this has to be rewritten. I mean, can't do this. I mean, <laughs> this has, it needs work. I mean, let's ask Gore to do some work. I mean, you know, every screenwriter has to do rewrites. I mean, mm -hmm. that's part of the deal. That's what it's about. Oh no, Gore, every single word was golden, you know. So we um, shot some stuff, made do, I tried to make it work. In the end, I got um, this wonderful playwright from London, uh, Ted Whitehead, T E E A Whitehead. He'd written Alpha Beta, Alpha Beta with Albert and Rachel Roberts. Right. It was a wonderful play at the court. Right. And he came out and went, listen, I spoke to him and I said, look, I'll get you some dough. You know, you can stay with me. Let's just work on it. So he came out for a month and we, you know, kind of worked on it. And um, we tried to, um, well, he, he did a lot of work. We kind of got the shape of it. But, you know, um, so it's really weird. But mm. during this pandemic, I have been um, revisiting Caligula and some of the, um, some of the um, stories about right. it. And I think I'm going to um, do a kind of one-man show about it because it's so bloody funny. You know? <laughs> and, um, and I think it's a good time to kind of do it. I don't know whether I'll do it in terms of an evening with or what, or is anybody really interested to hear about what happened behind the scenes? Who cares now, you know, but it is sort of funny. When you're playing such a massive part, I mean, you know, I mean, it's basically in every frame of a movie. Mm. And so, of course, I got blamed, I suppose, if there is blame to go around. 
you know, when the, um, you always, whatever you do, you, it, you know, it's 110% of your yeah. life in yeah. it. And um, so when you get the producer, the owner, who takes the movie and a year later shoots absolute explicit porn and inserts it into the movie, then it's a real betrayal. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, it was a total betrayal. And, um, you know, I was just, I just threw my hands up because in that movie is a really good movie dying to come out. Yeah. And the fact is, it's, you know, poorly done. Um, Guccione didn't know what the hell he was doing. He's not a director. He's not an editor. You know, he's a pornographer. Mm. And um, so, you know, I, I really uh, threw my hands up and I basically said, don't, people shouldn't go see it because it's not the film we made. And if you want to go for titillation, fine. But other than that, don't think it, it's not worthy. Mm. So, mm. of course, he was furious with me and he actually said, if I was connected to the mob, I'd have McDowell snuffed out. <laughs> now, we have found out that he was connected to the Gambino family. So I was very, very lucky to... I was lucky. I got yeah. threatened. Uh, actually, it was um, after a performance of uh, Look Back in Anger, they... Um, the vice president of Penthouse Pictures came to see me in my dressing room. He'd seen the show and I said, hello, I liked him. He was a nice guy, fine. And on, the, on, on his way out, he said, by the way, Malcolm, look, please don't ever mention Bob Guccione in the press again. And I went, wow, well, that sounds like a threat. And he just looked at me and walked out. And it was quite chilling in yeah. a way. Wow. wow. So I, I went back home. I remember t telling my wife, uh, Mary, and she ever, ever mention him again. Please don't, don't ever do it. The guy's deadly. Gosh. Went, really? So I'm from naive, from England, thinking, oh, it's all nonsense. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I perhaps turn to a, um, a much nicer experience for you uh, that year, which was Time After Time. Yes, lovely film. I love that film. Yeah, yeah. You researched H.G. Wells. Was he what you expected? No, no. H.G. Wells, look, you get a script from Hollywood, you know, uh, and it was a lovely script. Um, it was very well written by Nick Meyer, and, mm -hmm. uh, who directed it. And, you know, I, I was actually really thrilled not to be offered, you know, Jack the Ripper part, but the H.G. Wells, the sort of, you know, hero kind yeah. of, of the piece, rather than the typical thing would have been to 
me to play the David Warner part. Mm. And by the way, Warner is so brilliant in it, you know. He's a great actor. I, yes. Um, it, it was... Um, it was so much fun to play it. I did a, a little bit of research um, because I thought, well, you know, Americans, they're the big on the method and all that. So uh, I had a friend in the BBC in the archives department who sent a recording around to my house. Right. Of H.G. Wells doing a radio interview of 1928, I think. And I put it on, you know, Kirking and you know <laughs> seventy eight, and he he talked like that, very very high pitched voice and a South East London accent, and I thought I don't think the Americans are going to like that, you know. <laughs> I think we'll forget about that. I went oh, I put the thing back, sent it back, and um, no. um. So it was more fun to make up one's own sort of idea of who H.G. was. Right. But it had to work with the script, you know. Yeah. Um, he was, of course, one of the first, you know, libbers and uh, socialists. Mm -hmm. You know, all the rest of it. Um, but, of course, when he meets a woman who is completely... Um, you know, um, she's completely uh, got rid of the shackles of, yeah. you know, and he meets her, then he doesn't really know quite how to handle it, you know, which of course it was, it was a delightful thing. And, you know, it was so wonderful to be shooting in um, San Francisco, which is right. such a great city. Yeah. And it was so amazing. And I remember it, sort of the weather always being good. Um, I, I guess we must have shot it. I think we shot it in the fall. Right. But, um, it, was, it was always, um, it, was, it was really a lot of fun. And of course, right. you know, uh, falling in love with Mary on the film and stuff like that. It was quite exciting trying to keep that under wraps and right. all the rest of it. Right. So it had um, many more things than just the film going for it. Right, right. And then we came back, we came back to Warner Brothers, which is where one of my heroes did many movies, Jimmy Cagney. And oh, wow. um, I remember going to the street where they did Singing in the Rain, hanging onto the lamppost, and the damn thing started to fall over. It wasn't attached. Oh, God. Yeah. I know, but um, so that year, I think uh, the end of the year when they announced the, you know, the New York Times used to do top 10 list, top 10, mm. top worst. I was in top best and the top worst. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, well, that's how a career should be. Right. You know, if you don't take any risks, what's the point? Right. Right. Yeah. No, absolutely. And had you known David Warner before you started filming? I had. I, mm -hmm. I was a friend of David's. I knew him quite well. I, I love David. Um, you know, I'd been in his hamlet at Stratford. Right. Playing one of the messages or something. But um, 
you know, he'd, he'd uh, done the Peter Hall Hamlet, and, and it was the Hamlet of his generation. You know, there's this lanky, long thing in, with big scarf, you know, Bliffle. <laughs> Who's now Hamlet? And um, he, was, he was pretty amazing. He's an amazing actor, I think. Yeah. He, you know, um, I remember seeing him in The Government Inspector, which was Paul Schofield, who's oh. brilliant, of course. Mm. But David played a small part of the porter or something. But he was, you couldn't take your eyes off him on the mm -hmm. stage. Truly great actor. It's like Albert, you know, Albert whatever he plays mm -hmm. you're kind of watching him yeah it's just a, you know there's a certain kind of electricity magnetism or call it whatever you want but there are some actors that have that and and it's nothing to do with acting yeah it's yeah. something else yeah, yeah. And i think uh, albert finney we're talking about well albert and david right david yeah. had that too uh, I saw David on stage a few times, and I think it may be to do with his extraordinary shape. That he was, but he had a tremendous power. You know, he's mm. a, a very underestimated actor, in my view. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, another one of those fascinating voices and presence on film. And mm. see, Albert Finney is my favourite Hercule yeah. Poirot. On, uh, oh. on film, I, it's just... Well, it's I, it's my favorite work, Churchill, too. Oh, right, yes, of course. He was brilliant, uh, was Churchill. Yeah. Albert was a truly great actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he had this, I saw him when he first went to the National Theater and he played Don Juan, is it, in... Um, One of the Shakespeare plays, which one? Oh. As You Like It, you know. One yeah. of those. Yeah, I can. And he had a small part, mm. but he came on in a crowd, and you literally, now maybe because, you know, I'd seen him in Tom Jones, mm. seen him in Saturday Night, Sunday Morning. You know, because when I saw him in Saturday Night, Sunday Morning, I realized that that is what I wanted to do, and I was going to do it. Oh, and, wow. And that was the performance for me, sitting in the Odeon, Lime Street, Liverpool, and watching Albert in that film. Wow. Um, and I went, he only lives 25 miles from here in Salford, I went, of course, you know, now this was the time when you didn't get out of the provinces. Mm. It was a big, it was a massive thing to move from Liverpool to London. Mm -hmm. No way. Are you, where are you going to stay? Mm. What are you going to do? And, um, you know, Albert gave us my generation. He made it possible, you know. As I believe, uh, I did the same thing with Gary Oldman, who saw yes. me doing the thing and went, I, I'm going to do that, Mum. And I love that. You know, you pass the baton. 
Yes, right. yes. In and I believe it was one of one of my favorite films, um, *Raging Moon*, that he. Yes, it yes. was. Yeah, yeah, Indeed. yeah. yeah. Now, okay, so moving on to 1982, you made *The Cat People*. Um, now, I have to say, one of the one of the things I noticed particularly, you juggle. Was that something that you learned for the film, or was that yes. a skill? Yes, I learned for the film. And I, I was not very good at it, but I did learn it and I did uh, try, but I couldn't do the dialogue at a different tempo to the juggling, uh -huh. you know? And yes. so there was like, oh, can't you slow it? I went, no, no, it, it's got to go with the juggle, you know? But um, yeah, that, that was a, it was a nice experience, you know. Um, right. so, so what was it like working for the director, Paul Schrader, on that? Paul Schrader? I, I, Paul is a strange guy. Listen, I don't think anyone would dispute that. But, but I, 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 he's got a, um, a real heart, you know, and, and I like him a lot. Um, mm. I got on with him very well, I think. And... Um, you know, uh, he sent me a play, actually, um, maybe, well, I guess it must be 15 years ago now, but I couldn't do it at the time. But I'd worked with Paul anytime. Right. Uh, really good. But it was unfortunate because, you know, he was having a thing with Nastasha Kinski, that kind of unraveled. Mm. And then, uh, you know, she'd come into me, my room, and say, oh, Malcolm... Can you help me with it? I went, no, 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 no. I can't help you, dying because he's the director. And you're, that's the bed you've chosen. You're yeah. going to have to lie in it. You know? Yeah, yeah. And so that was sort of weird. But, but I liked her. She was absolutely beautiful, of course. Mm. Mm. One of the most beautiful women on the planet, so they said. You know? Yes. There's pictures of her with snakes and God knows what else. Yeah. There were one on every college dormitory. <laughs> and um, it was a, it's a wonderful horror film, really, mm. you know. Um, and it's got a great I'm very happy I did it, you know. Yeah. And it's got a great cast apart from Natasha. I was just looking at it the other day, Ruby. Yeah, Dude, John Hurd. Yeah, John Hurd. Yeah. Ed. And what's her name? Um, she's very good. Ruby D. Oh, she was great. Uh, no, the friend. I know exactly who. And yeah, for the shame of it, red hair, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Yes. What a lovely person. Really lovely yeah. person. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, oh, Annette O'Toole. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, yes. A great actress, a really, really fascinating yeah. actress. Totally. Uh, now, again, moving on, if I may, um, you made a guest star on Tales from the Crypt in 91, The Reluctant Vampire. What do you remember about yeah. this moment? <laughs> well, you know, well, I liked very much the director. He's a director who did something really good in the um, Cat Baloo or something like that. He, oh, right. Yeah. You know, my agent wanted me to do it and I couldn't really think why, but um, 
you know, it was a very popular show. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and actually, it was a, a real pleasure to work with George. Right. From Cheers. Right. Who, and I, everyone loved Cheers. And it was fun talking to George because he'd been in Moscow with Ronnie Fraser. Now, Ronnie was a dear friend of mine, a wonderful actor. I love Ronnie. And we'd been in entertaining Mr. Sloan together in 1974 or whatever it was, 73 or something, 74. And I just love Ronnie. And, and so George had done this movie of Oblomov, you know, who, who never leaves his bed, right? Right, 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 yes. And they'd done this thing in Moscow, and he'd been there with, with Ronnie, and I don't think he was prepared. He didn't know what Ronnie was, you know, big piss artist and absolute fun guy. God, mm -hmm. I, I adored him. I mean, there was always a drama with Ronnie. You know? <laughs> I'd be getting ready for the show, entertaining Mrs. Sloan, and he'd come on and go, darling, I, I can't go on tonight. I, I, I can't do it. Are you okay with the, uh, you know, can we put the, I went, oh, Ronnie, what? So, sorry, you're here. You're going to do it. He goes, I've had a terrible row with a girlfriend. Now, she blaming me and the police have come around he goes you know she got in the car when I was going down the hill in Hampstead and she was half in and half out I went Ronnie what are you talking the vehicle was moving he goes well yeah yeah it was moving I said you can't do that that's that's attempted murder you idiot what are you talking about he was always having a big ruck you know but he always, and then he'd roll these joints like Tampaxes that we had smoked after the show. Right. And we'd roll with laughter. You know, uh, we had so much fun. And, and uh, James Villiers would come around, another naughty boy. Right, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> we had some fun. Oh, my God. We had some fun. You talk Great guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. And James Villiers is another, again, very tall man, beautiful speaking voice. Um, and he was a terrific actor. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But you were mentioning um, Russia, and in 2004, you made what I have to say, I think is possibly your, your most terrifying film, as far as I'm concerned, Evelenko. Um, oh. No, that was, um, that is a terrifying film. But that was um, 2000... 2004? Was it? Yes. Yeah. 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 I know, it was a friend of mine who wrote the script. Who Actually, it was a book. And mm -hmm. he, he told me about the book because I had a house in Tuscany. It was my neighbor. Right. We'd sit on my terrace and he'd tell me about this thing. And I said, look... David, piss or get off the pot. Direct it yourself. Direct it. You can direct it. I went, write the script, get mm -hmm. it translated, and we'll do it. Now, I did. You know, I read the script the next year. We'd sit on the terrace, and I'd read the script. And I went, wow. Um, 
I'd like to make a suggestion. I think the rape of this young eight-year-old girl should not come in the first reel. Uh, if you really want that, can we push it towards the end of the film? Give the, the poor actor playing, you know, Ivalenko a chance to... Anyway, the next year I come out and it's the same. It, it's, you know, so I figured, well, I've said my piece. He, he didn't want to do it. And so he must feel strongly about it. Mm. Anyway, um, I sort of thought to myself, it's so, I mean, it's about such a despicable guy that mm. will never get the money for this. So I encouraged thinking, of course, it's never going to come to anything. And then the call, when I'm in California, we got the money! <laughs> <laughs> I went, what? What? Well, I, I, I said, well, I can't do it then. I'm doing this film with Robert Altman in Chicago. I cannot do it. They go, he goes, wait, I'll call you back. And then they moved the movie from Moscow to Kiev. And we shot everything there. Uh, we shot it not in the fall, but in the spring. Mm -hmm. So that um, it wouldn't conflict with Bob Altman. And actually, I must say, I remember very well sitting at my dining room table with the script and thinking, how the hell am I going to play this part? How the hell? <sighs> you know, this is the most depressing, and I've got to go to Kiev where they don't have a damn good restaurant, so I can, I can tell. So <laughs> this is going to be torture. So I get there, and it was great to see David. I mean, mm. he's a dear friend, and I love him dearly. And, and also Martin Chokash, who yeah. plays the cop, and Martin came aboard, you know, and um, thank God he did, because he mm. was fantastic in it too. And, and we, um, David, uh, he would cook pasta. I, I lived in a, we had these apartments sure. right in the main square. <laughs> and right. he literally, I was upstairs, he was below, below me, and, and Martin was somewhere else, I think. But so he'd make pasta, you know, and he wanted to fatten me up, I think. But, um, and he gave me a load of tapes like this. I went, I don't work that way, Dave. He goes, this is interviews with the real guy, this guy, Chikatilo. And I went, yes, but, you know, I, I don't work that way. I really... And it was interesting because he goes, well, just put them on while you're unpacking your stuff. And, you know, so literally I put them on and, and left the television to go do stuff mm -hmm. at the apartment. And I just wandered in and I saw Chikatilo in the courtroom behind these bars and he was holding on to these bars and the camera came right in, right close to his face. And this guy just went, gave this look yeah. that stopped me. And I realized that's how I play the part. Mm -hmm. So instead of doing, you know, the, the usual thing, 
for me was inside out. I did the outside in. Right. So that, um, you know, I could shed the part, throw the costume in the corner and just waltz off. Um, you know, and I found a walk and a physicality to him. And, you know, I actually loved playing it in the end, um, even though he was such a tortured creature. Um, it's more becomes a, a film about mental health, actually, mm. weirdly enough, rather than this guy is so nasty. You know, I mean, it's really... It was just an amazing um, experience to do it mm. and to do it that way, you know. Um, so I, I, I did enjoy doing it in the end, actually. Right. right. Because yeah. it was... A, I'm just going to say, it's, as I say, I found it most terrifying. As, as you say, it's about mental illness, but it's also about mm. this huge, huge change in the Russian society, Perestroika, mm. Gorbachev, and so on. And, but it remains at a very human level. Um, I, extraordinary. Absolutely. It's amazing. Well, that's David, you know, because mm. he'd, he married both things. You know, the fall of communism, you know, after 70-odd years, mm. you wake up and you're told, oh, no, 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 communism, no, 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 no. It's now, you know, the, we're now capitalists. It, it's almost crazy. Now, I was over there during this period. I made a Russian movie over there, and it's a, it's a really amazing movie. It's one of the best movies I've made, actually. And it's called Assassin of the Tsar. Okay. Have you ever seen it? I've not. No, I've not heard of this one. Oh, it's an amazing movie. It's an amazing movie. Um, it was made um, by a Russian director. Um, you know, they Glasnost was happening. This is before the, they split up the Soviet Union. Right. Gorbachev was in power. And um, I, Pippa Markham called me up to say, darling, we've had this Russian script it's a little bit you know english as a second language but i think it's rather interesting do you want to read it and i went of course yeah let me read it she goes well they had no money and i went oh well and they're all russians you'd you'd be working and i said well i don't speak russian she went no you're the only one they they're poor the other russians are going to have to learn english and i went wow Okay, so I read the script and realized it was really something here. And I met the Russian uh, Karen Shaknazarov, mm -hmm. the director. Um, I was doing a movie in Geneva, and I come back to the hotel and they said, the Russian delegation is waiting for you. I went, oh, where are they? At the penthouse. So I go up there and... Um, I said, look, I'd very much like to do the film if it can be arranged, um, but you're going to have to pay me something. I can't do it for nothing. And so um, 
you know, I said to Pippa Markham, well, Pippa, look, I, they've got some interesting art over there. You know, put in that and get three paintings. She went, well, darling, how am I going to collect commission on that? And I went, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> you should look it up because you'd love it. Right. You would love this movie. And the weird thing was, it is about the assassin of the family. And it's about the assassin, the man who did it. Wow. But, but here's the interesting thing is, is that if it was a, a movie in the West, it would be a biopic, mm -hmm. you know, about the historical blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh, Russia starts off modern-day Russia in a mental institution. And you've got the patients and this doctor, new doctor arrives and takes an interest in this patient who claims to be the czar killer. Right, right. And right. every anniversary of the death of the czar, he gets these rope burns around his neck for some reason. And the sparring goes on like a chess game. And suddenly, you're back, 1917. The doctor becomes the czar. Oh, wow. The patient becomes Yorovsky, who was the czar killer. Right, right. And who was, in fact, a photographer in Ekaterinburg in Siberia. He was a photographer, and he was the head of the local Communist Party, and he was ordered by Lenin to kill them, to assassinate them. Wow. Or it was, a, it was a, a killing sanctioned by the state. Right. We call right. it murder, they don't. No. Well, it's, yes. Yeah, I think <clears throat> in, the back, in the historical background, what was going on, it, it was a war. You will love this film because we shot the whole thing there. They rebuilt the Ipatiev house and they had all the KGB files um, that they were allowed. They had all um, Alexei or Nikolai's um, toys from the Hermitage. All the furniture was real. It was, I mean, amazing. Right, right, right. It's a really, really interesting movie. And um, it just was never seen, because, but, but it's one of the most famous movies in Russia, you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I shall. I shall definitely check that out. That sounds fascinating. It's called Assassin of the Tsar, and I think you can even see it online. I, I think you can see it on YouTube or something. I, I have shrewd told me. I'm shrewd suspicion. I scroll. I've seen it. It's. I mean, the title sounds familiar, yeah. and yeah. maybe even on Prime or something. But I shall definitely check it out. I like to bring right up to date. Um, really. Yeah. You've recently done quite a lot of comedy dramas such as Mozart in the Jungle, Franklin and Bash. Mm. And you've got a new series premiering fairly soon, Truth Seekers, which starts... Which is terrific, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it. Oh, my God. It's hilarious. I think it's lovely. I'm so uh, pleased that I did it. I, I, right. I don't have very much to do in it. But, you know, the scenes with Nick Frost, oh, my God, he's hilarious. And he's got short pants, you know. Um, he wears shorts the whole time, freezing weather. 
it's just uh, it's just delicious. Stuff. Right, right. It's so gentle and so nerdy, mm-hmm. but but funny. Right. And they're all such nice people. I mean, it's, it's um, I'm really happy to be right. part of it. I feel right. really good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great to hear you're so excited about it because I... Yeah. It's yeah, a beautifully it's gentle, as you say, beautifully gentle and just yeah. fun. I just yeah. really good, but really interesting characters as well. Totally um, interesting. You know, it's, it's a suburban Ghostbusters. You yeah. know, they're all nerds into the... You know, and I'm the dad who's the total cynic, like, oh, yeah, really? Oh, yeah, pull this one, you know, and all that. But but it's hilarious, yeah. you know. Yeah, And um, I think, um, and, you know, Nick and, and Simon, mm. you know, they've got their fans. Quite rightly, I love their stuff, you mm. know. And so I'm, um, I'm very happy for them, and I'm happy to be part of it. And hopefully they'll, you know, go to a season two, but we don't know that yet. So right, we'll see. right. But see how we go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd, ob- you'd obviously like to do it if they do. Yeah, no, I told yeah. them I'll do it. Right. Cool. Yeah. All right, well, I'd just like to end, if we may, um, with something I call the luggage in the crypt, which is basically the idea is you're about to make your final journey and you've been told you've got to take along your own entertainment uh, in the crypt with you. If you had to make the choice, what what film would you take with you? Fargo. Ah. Kind of funny looking. It's either Fargo or Maltese Falcon. But I think it would be Fargo. Right. Because I can never, when I see it on television, I'm mesmerized by it and I have to sit and watch it to the end. Every time. It's a great film. Yes. Yes. I've not seen it for ages. And I watched the TV series recently and really enjoyed that. That's amazing too, but for very different reasons. Yes. The movie is spectacular. And the performances, well, you know, she's amazing, but they're all incredible. Buscemi and I mean, it's insane. Yeah. It's such a great movie. Yeah. So that would be... Definitely yeah. film. Okay. What about a book? Animal Farm. George Orwell. Ah. Which would be... <laughs> you think, hmm, that's weird. <laughs> well, it is weird, but it's, it's all come true again. Well, oddly enough, I, I just think, you know, we've been discussing Russia, the fall of communism etc and it's very very much in keeping funnily enough i think there's a very logical in a weird way it's yeah. a great book though oh yeah i haven't read it in a while but either that or um no i, I think i'd keep to that because okay. okay it's something that i could reread and reread and mm. reread right okay musical album wow well that's a tough one right Probably Moondance, Van Morrison. I don't know this one. What, what was the album it was on? I think it was called Moondance. Right. Um, 
it probably would be Van Morrison. Right. Simply because he's a great songwriter. They're all originals. You never get tired of them. If you're doing a cross-country trip, you take Van Morrison all the time. Right, right. Um, okay. But the truth is, my 16-year-old son has just made an album, so I'd probably take his. What's the album and he called? Doesn't, that's a good question. <laughs> probably called Vertigo. Right. He's fantastic. It's really something. This kid's got it. Right, right. I remember you telling me that... Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, to go down this road with this kid. Right, right. Okay. It's beautiful. And is is that available now? It will be soon. Right, okay. So we're just finishing it. They're just doing, you know, bits here and there. Right. Oh, cool. But it's something that I would take because I'd have a special. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Favorite, favorite food. Wow. Well, yeah, unfortunately, I shouldn't eat it probably, but um, I think there must be Italian um, blood in my vein somewhere because I adore pasta. Right. And so, you know, you I could give you 10 different kinds of pasta. That I love them all. Right. So I think, I think it would have to be a pasta or, um, yeah, you know. Something. Parmesan cheese on top? Of course. Oh. Unless, it's, unless it's fish. Right. If it's vongole, no. 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 <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> Pontanesca, yes, absolutely. Right, right. Now, this is, I think this is going to be a really tough one for you. A piece of visual art, because I know you're a big collector of paintings and so on. Wow. Well, how would I get it in wherever I'm going? Oh, well, we have ways. Um, well, there's, you know, I could pick a watch because I love it old vintage watches or it could be a painting you know um there's a beautiful painting that i have by a painter called frost j-o-j frost right which is a very much um, a folk art painting Mm -hmm. of uh marblehead massachusetts and uh it's a a wonderful painting actually Right. I'd probably take that, you know. Right. Or, right. Or I'd be happy with just a picture of it. Right. Don't need the painting. No. No. I'd rather no. have that somewhere safe. Right. <laughs> as I say, as I've been, you know, filling up my truck when the fires are oh, God. bristling around, putting these paintings in and going, you know what, let's sell the whole damn thing. Yeah, I don't want the responsibility of having these bloody paintings. You know? <laughs> I know it's crazy. Right, right. Anyway, um, yeah, I'd probably yeah. take a fun Okay. And one. finally, um, one luxury. One luxury. What is this, Desert Island Disc? Yeah, it is. Oh, yeah, complete ripoff. <laughs> okay, 
chocolate bath Oliver. Okay. Do they still make them? I don't know. A chocolate bath Oliver. You know what? My, my ex, Mary, wrote me a text. She's doing a show in Vancouver about a week ago saying, what were those biscuits called that we love so much? <laughs> and I went, uh, that's, a, you know, a Bath Oliver. And she was like, oh, my God, that's it. <laughs> and I don't know whether they do chocolate Bath Olivers anymore, but if they don't, they ought to. Right. Well, we will Please find... Don't. We'll find an image of a chocolate bath to, to, to show people. Malcolm, <laughs> I know you need to go. Thank you so much for taking your time. Um, it's so nice to see you, Nick. Oh, you look thank great. Thank you, you take care. Stay safe. You too. Absolutely. Yeah. Stay safe and well. That was so incredible. Malcolm is such a great storyteller. I'm afraid we went way over the hour and still didn't have a chance to discuss his work with Rob Zombie on Halloween, etc. So, apologies for that. Hopefully we'll get him back on a future show. And speaking of which, today on our double feature, up next is the talented and lovely Kathleen Kinmond. We talk about her work on Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, uh, Bride of Reanimator, her latest book, and so much more. Hopefully you can join me then. The Chattering Hour is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe with production support from Jared Friedrich and Amanda Rome West. <laughs>